We acknowledge with respect the Onondaga Nation, firekeepers of the Haudenosaunee, the indigenous people on whose land Syracuse University now stands. May the information you glean from this podcast motivate you to uphold indigenous values, protect Mother Earth, and honor indigenous treaties. America takes religious freedom for granted. In other countries, people face violence, threats, and panoptic influence from hatred. Today, we'll talk about Brazil's fight for religious equality. Welcome to the Doctrine of Christian Discovery. I'm Tanner Randall, your host from Good Faith Media. We're producing this podcast at the Religious Origins of White Supremacy Conference in December of 2023 at Syracuse University in New York. This year is particularly special because it's the 100th anniversary of Johnson v. McIntosh, the Supreme Court proceeding that installed the framework of the Doctrine of Discovery within American government. We will be talking about the different ramifications of the Doctrine of Discovery and how it led to indigenous values and land being stolen, as well as white supremacy and the general idea of revitalized indigenous culture. Religious discourse is dominated by those with mass amounts of followers, but it's important to remember those that do not have the same populations. They can have the best appreciation for environment and beautiful displays of worship. If we do not protect these, we risk losing culture and what it means to be unique humans. We would like to thank our sponsors who made this podcast possible. Many thanks to the Henry Luce Foundation, Syracuse University, Indigenous Values Initiative, American Indian Law Alliance, American Indian Community House, Good Faith Media, Tanatiera, and Towards Our Common Public Life. We appreciate your support. I'm Tanner Randall with Good Faith Media. Today, our episode will have two guests. First, we'll speak with Dr. Gustavo Cerqueda, an activist from Brazil who's combating religious racism. After that, we'll speak to Dr. Danielle Boez. Dr. Boez helps also combat religious racism internationally, and Dr. Boez's organization can be found at religiousracism.org. I'm here with Dr. Gustavo Cerqueda. Dr. Cerqueda, welcome. Uh, my first question for you here today is, uh, what is religious racism? Tell us about it a little bit. Okay, thank you so much for having me here. So uh, this very idea of religious racism comes uh, from Brazil, from the social activists in Brazil, uh, especially those who used to deal with what we used to call religious intolerance. But the point is that because we, um, the main victim of what people call religious intolerance in very violent and diversified ways are the people who belong to the Afro-Brazilian religions, especially Candomblé and Umbanda. And because of that, people started to say, no, this is not about religious intolerance, this is about religious racism. And this idea of religious racism is very connected to the very concept of uh, structural racism that we also talk in Brazil which is about the ways in which uh, our social, political, cultural relationships in Brazil are very structured into anti-blackness. 
And then we could notice that the main point about the ways in which people act violently against us is not because they do not have knowledge or because any kind of ignorance. It is much more because of anti-black racism. So we started using these. And then we could also identify that this concept could be uh, used to also different racial groups as also the native peoples from Brazil who are also suffering a lot mm. in terms of religious racism. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm curious as because this is a, a topic that is rather new to me um, and obviously within the United States we have seen the uh, ramifications of religious racism and in the particularly in the 60s and 70s churches being a way of justifying segregation but what does the manifestation of religious racism look like in Brazil what are people facing today and uh, how does this affect their everyday life okay that's very interesting because it also connects a little bit with the concept of religious racism because uh, when we talk about this many people think about uh, the kind of racist violence that is motivated by religious values that's okay but that's not the full point the full point is also that we're talking about different forms of violence or the ways in which rights human rights are threatened and how they impact in a different way those afro-brazilian religious communities for example sometimes we talk about land rights and we are also talking about religious racism Mm. because many times these afro-brazilian religious communities are in certain areas that they do not have uh, their right guaranteed by the state in terms of ownership so when we talk about religious racism we need to face not only what is motivated by religion but also how they impact in a different way uh, these Afro-Brazilian religious communities. Mm. And then, in terms of how this affects us in our everyday lives, there are many ways in which this kind of violence is manifested. So we were talking about even the most uh, trivial offense that you can listen in the streets because you are, for example, wearing these necklaces that are very specific Mm. for our religion, for example, or just because people see you dress in white on Fridays, which is also part of our tradition. But also there are many other ways who are way more violent. So uh, the cases that we are facing right now, they go with the burning of our places of worships. We have some statues in several cities in Brazil also that represents our gods, and these statues are also being burned down and destroyed. There are several people in Brazil, especially elderly women, who died because of the ways in which neo-Pentecostal evangelicals were kind of circling the place of worship and saying several offenses to them and throwing stones and trying to burn those temples as well. There were several leaders, Baba Lurishas, as I am, in Brazil who were killed in a certain area of Brazil, in the north of Brazil, in mm. a certain area, about five or six of these Baba Lurishas were killed in a sequence and nobody could uh, link that kind of crime to any, absolutely anything, because they did not steal anything, nothing. They just were killed, and the common trace, the common characteristics about those victims is that they were babalorishas, right? So we're talking about teenagers that go to school, and also they need to wear some of those uh, part of these adornments that belong to our religion, and some of them have been beat up 
by their colleagues as well. Sometimes a professor, a teacher just says, oh, you should leave these because you are worshiping the devil. And there are the other cases that are not so clearly motivated by religion, but that affect us, as I was telling you about the case of the land rights. So uh, we had a Yalori Shah who was killed recently in a, in a space in an area in Bahia, which is the state where I have my, my Tejero, my place of worship. And she was killed because there was a dispute in terms of the extraction of wood and trees to sell to other people. So since that was an area of Quilombo, and that area was not certified, those kind of conflicts become pretty, pretty frequent. And right now I'm also giving some assistance to another Baba Lorisha who's also facing something similar in a city that's really close to the city where I have my Tejero as well. So, uh, and also we can talk about the guardian of children. It's becoming very common in Brazil that lots of people are having their children extracted from from their families because of the religion of the mother and the religion of the father who follow Afro-Brazilian traditions. Wow. Uh, first of all, I'm so sorry for your communal loss and the injustices that you, your communities had to face. Um, no one should have to go through that. And it, it is a ramification of people trying to insert some kind of moral hierarchy. Um, and this week we've been talking about the doctrine of discovery and how it asserts that, you know, whoever is um, backed by a certain religious group has the right of domination, and that's something we need to work to tear down. Um, and so I think that, you know, you've obviously been very involved in your community and have been doing work, and without people like you, we have no hope of doing that, so thank you. Um, I do... I do have a question because I, I think it's important to learn about um, other religions and it's important to speak them into word because then they become permanent. So I was wondering uh, for some of our listeners who may not be uh, familiar with, uh, do you say, pronounce it Babylon Shan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, can you ex explain uh, what that religion entails and uh, what it means to you? Yeah, Ababa Lorisha is uh, the male leader of uh, a religion named Candomblé. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Kanumla as well. Okay. So, and uh, the female leader is named Ialorisha, right? So, Kanumla uh, was a religion that was made in Brazil, that surged in Brazil because of the different cultures and the different ethnicities that come from Africa, especially during during slavery, mm. right? So, it was a way of guaranteeing that these people could worship their their gods, their orishas, as we say. But then we, we have different names for them as well. We can say Orishas, but in some cases we are talking about what we call Voduns, depending on the ethnicity or what we call Inkisis. But the point is that these gods, they manifest some different characteristics of the nature. Mm. And also they represent, in a sense, some of our ancestors. So, uh, for example, I am initiated for Oshosi, who's the hunter. And also it is kind of the, the God that represents more what we call the Ketu nation. And the Ketu is a city that is now is located where now is the country of Benin. So okay. it was a Yoruba city, but also surrounded by a different ethnicity, which was uh, the Fon 
people. So we have those different cultures in dialogue since Africa, and they keep this dialogue as well when, we, when they get to Brazil. So the mythology of Candomblé is very complex. It's really similar sometimes to the Indian mythology, and it's similar also to the Greek mythology or the Roman mythology, when we you have different gods that are related to different aspects of nature, and they have different forms of worship as well. And also they kind of guide our lives but we also can't ask them to influence mm. us positively. Mm. I can imagine um, you're speaking to Africa and or about Africa and Brazil. I can imagine those being places that are so vibrant with, you know, ancestry and nature being an extremely spiritual place. And I know you mentioned some land encroachment issues earlier and I think it's very difficult for groups to understand, especially those that come from, uh, the Christian faith to comprehend the spiritual ties there are to an environment. So um, it's it's very soothing to hear that there are also other sects of religion that put that kind of importance on environment and preserving ancestry through locations of space. One of the things that we're also doing is that uh, we keep our working in terms of the resistance and on how we can combat religious racism. So particularly, I've been working a lot in the political incidents, especially the international political incidents. Uh, so this is scholarly work that we are trying to develop in terms of religious racism has to do with it, but also my, my participation in different instances like uh, sometimes I need to participate in some committees uh, of the United Nations in mm. Geneva, in Switzerland. Sometimes I need to come to the U.S. also to participate in some other committees and audiences that we can uh, have at the, uh, in, in Washington, especially when they are related to the organization of the American states. So we are also trying to find a way of giving international visibility to what we are suffering mm. in Brazil, because we feel that international pressure over Brazilian state is something very, very important to make Brazilian states to actually do something that can be effective in our defense. Now I am joined uh, by Dr. Danielle Boas, uh, and we're going to talk about the Boots on the Ground initiatives in Brazil to combat religious racism. So uh, Dr. Boas, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, your advocacy work and uh, your involvement with the um, fight for equality in Brazil? Sure, absolutely. So uh, the first thing that I want to say is that I'm not Brazilian and I'm based in the US and so a lot of the advocacy work that I'm doing is to try to augment, um, give visibility to the work that is already occurring in Brazil and also to make things that are currently only in Portuguese available to an English-speaking audience, especially to folks in the U.S., folks in Canada, folks in Europe, uh, who may be largely unaware of the really dire circumstances for Afro-Brazilian religious communities today. So all of the work that I'm doing is, of course, building off of, of what they're doing. And um, I've been doing work related to combating religious racism and um, to help 
religious Afro-Brazilian religious communities experience equality um, in Brazil. I've been doing that work for about five years or so, and it builds off a a legacy of work that I've been doing for hmm, longer than I care to admit because I'm going to date myself if I do, about um, just discrimination and violence against African diaspora religious communities throughout the Americas and in Europe and a little bit on the African continent as well. So I was no stranger to this work before I got started. And then I met Dr. Sirkira in 2018. And um, he basically told me, look, things are terrible here. If you think you work on this, you don't even know what's going on and you need to come to Brazil and you're really going to see. And that's exactly what I did. A few months later, I went to Brazil and he very kindly took me around. And uh, one of the things that people repeatedly said is we need to give visibility to what's happening here. We need to make sure that people abroad are fighting for us. They're talking about what's happening because what's happening here is perhaps amounting to a genocide. It's definitely terrorism. It's um, definitely intended to wipe out these religious communities. And so uh, about a year later, I started working on a project tracking and mapping cases of discrimination and violence against Afro-Brazilian religious communities. And you can find that at my website, religiousracism.org. Right now, we have 500 cases of discrimination and violence against Afro-Brazilian religious communities. And these are cases that are modern day, happening since the year 2000 and going forward. Most of them are happening within the last, I would say, five to 10 years for sure. And these are cases that range everything from just simple vandalism, for example, writing some graffiti, uh, which is usually biblical graffiti, on the side of religious temples uh, saying, this territory belongs to Jesus, or um, the blood of Jesus has power, or um, something to that effect normally, all the way up to extreme acts of violence like murdering uh, devotees, priests, religious leaders of of Afro-Brazilian religions, and everything in between. There are cases of bombings, arson, um, shootings, stonings, That's always the one that gives people a little bit of pause, like stoning? What exactly does that mean in the 21st Mm -hmm. century? We don't hear about that. Uh, But it's something that is fairly common in Brazil these days, that people are gathering around Afro-Brazilian temples, usually while they're in ceremony, or while typically elderly religious leaders might be inside alone. And they're just launching large stones at the sides or at the tops of the buildings. And uh, in particular, the roofs of the buildings are most vulnerable to the stones actually coming through and harming people. So sometimes they're targeting those in hopes that they will actually have these large stones fall on people and injure them. And this is a way of trying to scare, intimidate people and drive them out. And so what we're trying to do in, in tracking and mapping these cases is to give tools to the people in Brazil to talk about the gravity, to talk about the widespread nature, the systematic nature of what's happening there. Because as I'm sure Dr. Sakira probably already told you, the tendency of the Brazilian government is to just kind of say, 
oh, well, this isn't really something that's a big problem here. We just have a fight between neighbors, and that's why somebody attacked a, a devotee of an Afro-Brazilian religion. It isn't really religious racism. It isn't really discrimination. It is just something that's happening within the community. It's an interpersonal dispute. Or in the most discriminatory circumstances, they're saying that, oh, well, this is because these communities are associated with drugs or some terrible stereotype that is 99 times out of 100 untrue. Uh, they're saying, well, oh, the, um, they were probably dealing with the drug dealers here, and so the drug dealers came in and murdered this priest. It wasn't because people are discriminating against them. It's not religious racism. It's not religious intolerance. It's just the, they're involved with some shady people. Okay, it, it, that's shocking, um, and we thank you for your, your work. Um, it's obviously very, um, pr it's a pressing issue, and I think that something you said that's going to stick with me for a long time is this behavior is moving towards genocide, which that is, these are the seeds of genocide. People are made to feel unsafe in their everyday life, and whether it be graffiti or dismissal of tragedies that's what we see time and time again around the world before something truly terrible happens and so i think it's extremely important we bring attention to this issue um and so i i guess i have a question of how can young people get involved i know you said that you're translating a lot of stuff from uh you from portuguese to english um and trying to just put more information about this topic out there. So what what are you doing on the ground to try to curb some of this terrible behavior by the majority group? And how can our listeners help? Uh, so we actually have a newly formed community called the Working Group on Race, Justice, and Africana Religions. It's an international coalition of um, scholars and practitioners, mostly practitioners, uh, some of whom are also happen to be scholars, who are engaging in various projects that are designed to help combat certain aspects of discrimination and violence against all religious communities throughout the African diaspora. Um, this includes everything from the communities in Brazil to um, Centuria Lukumi, which is a, a religion coming out of Cuba, to Vodou in Haiti, um, to uh, uh, Hoodoo, a U.S. tradition, and we even have members who are also black Muslims and thinking about the way that race and discrimination um, against Muslims, Islamophobia impacts black communities differently sometimes. And uh, so one of the easiest things that people can do if they are interested in having an active role is to reach out to us at our website. We have all of our email addresses and social media contacts, and, and we have an Instagram page for the working group and uh, see what different projects we have going on. We're in the process of, because the working group is new, we don't have all the projects posted on our website just yet, but we're talking about them on our social media page. Uh, and um, 
and see what you'd like to be involved in. We've got people advocating for land rights. We've got people working through the arts, working through dance, working through theater to give visibility to what's happening. We have all sorts of different projects. So there are ways for pretty much anybody who has any kind of expertise and desire and, and energy into anything to come and be involved. And um, the other thing that people can do is to use the data that we're making available. That's mm. precisely why we're putting these cases together is so that scholars, and, and um, it's a bilingual resource. So Dr. Serkira um, helped me to translate everything back into Portuguese <laughs> and to make sure that everything's available, uh, all the data is equally available in English and Portuguese. And the idea is that uh, English-speaking scholars, Portuguese-speaking scholars, they can take this data, and, and activists as well, of course, they can take this data and use it to identify trends in the cases that maybe I myself am not seeing as a scholar or uh, to highlight certain areas. A big thing is land rights, for example, mm. um, thinking about how communities are being pushed off their lands by companies who want to develop it, by the state sometimes. And so... Um, if we can find people who want to create solidarity across different efforts to ensure that indigenous communities, African communities, various peoples have access to their land, then those are ways that we can collaborate. Those are ways that we can collect data and talk about how what's happening in Brazil is similar to other places and to continue to give visibility to the situation, but also to continue to understand what's happening. Uh, one of the main things that I think is important here is that there's this kind of global hesitancy to call any Christian group extremists or terrorists. But what's happening in Brazil, the attacks against Afro-Brazilian religious communities are being led by extremist sects of evangelical Christianity. They are terrorists by pretty much every definition. Uh, the groups who are carrying out these attacks, they intend to intimidate, they intend to terrorize, mm. they intend to harm, and they are carrying out very... Um, uh, serious attacks that are that are harmful uh, to human life, but we hesitate to name them as such. These resources are intended to make that hesitancy go away because we have the data to back it up. But we need more people to engage with the work that we're doing, to engage with these resources, to publish things about it, to bring it up as an example at different meetings that they're having, in different reports that they're generating. So it's also engaging with the data as well as engaging with us individually. There are lots of ways to get involved. Mm. That's one thing that always just frustrates me to no end is the hesitancy to not call, you know, white supremacy groups or evangelical nationalists like there are in Brazil terrorist groups. That's what they are. They are intimidating. They are hurting, and they are causing irreparable amounts of harm to families. So, we thank you for your work. And uh, what can we get that website one more time? Sure, of? it's www.religiousracism.org. Awesome. Religiousracism.org. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Doctrine of Christian Discovery, recorded at the 2023 Religious Origins of White Supremacy Conference at Syracuse University in New York. This podcast is produced in collaboration between Good Faith Media, Syracuse University, and the Indigenous Values Initiative, 
I'm Tanner Randall for Good Faith Media. Our executive producers are Mitch Randall of Good Faith Media, Philip P. Arnold, and Sandy Big Tree of the Indigenous Values Initiative, and Adam D.J. Brett of Syracuse University and the American Indian Law Alliance. Our producer is Cliff Vaughn. Our editor is David Pang. Our music comes from Pond5. Production assistance provided by the American Indian Law Alliance. To learn more, go to doctrineofdiscovery.org.